This is a special mini episode of the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, where we share bite-sized excerpts from our previous shows. I'm Karen Smith. And I'm Matt Smith. We know a lot of you have plans to visit Olympic National Park in the coming months, and we thought it would be a good time to talk about a specific area of the park, the more than 70 miles of rugged coastline that's waiting to be explored. The park encompasses three different ecosystems, glacier-capped mountains, old-growth temperate rainforests, and the Pacific Coast, which is made up of many unique beaches. Today, we're going to make our way up the coast and talk about these beaches and what you can expect when visiting them. We'll be including an excerpt from episode number 19 about our camping trip to Shai Shai Beach with some updated information. And at the end, we'll talk about our recent stay at Claylock Lodge, the only park lodge that's located on the coastline. Okay, Karen, this is a mini episode. We're doing a little special thing this summer since we're taking some time off. So we thought we would do excerpts from previous episodes, put them out during the weeks that we're traveling. Right. Um, you were assigned this one to do the little extra talk before the excerpt. Mm-hmm. So what did you do? You prepared a four-page <laughs> outline. Somehow I get the feeling you're criticizing me for this, for going above and beyond what you expected. I feel like I should be getting some praise, some thank you. This is amazing. Thank you, Karen. (laughs) This is amazing. (laughs) The idea was we would speak into the microphones for five minutes, put an excerpt, slap a label on it, and send it out to the world. But I guess we're doing like a full-blown episode now. Uh, Not quite. The thing is, there are so many beaches to talk about. So we can't just slapdash this one. <laughs> slapdash it? <laughs> Is that a word? <laughs> okay. So first of all, we should say that the beaches that are in Olympic National Park are not like Florida beaches. No, they're not. They're, they're <laughs> nothing like Florida beaches or California beaches where there are people in swimming suits and uh, not a lot of clothes on and beach towels laying on the smooth sand and coolers and all of those kinds of none of that none of that the beaches here can be chilly windy rocky slippery and absolutely beautiful in a wild and rugged way yeah they are both wild and rugged aren't they yes you want to be prepared for that you want to have a windbreaker light jacket you want to have some sturdy shoes it's a different attire than the other beaches around the country Yeah, but this is one of the things we love about Olympic National Park is it has so many different ecosystems. And today we're just going to talk about the beaches. So we thought we would start on the southern end of the coast inside the park. And we're going to be driving up Highway 101. That's the main highway that's going to take you up and around the park. So on the very southern end, you've got Kalaylock Beach. And this is a long stretch of beach that's actually made up of multiple beaches. So the first beach you would come to is South Beach, but it's a campground, kind of crowded at times, got a lot of RVs. Um, so yes, it is a beach, but if you're not camping, you're probably going to skip this one. That's right. We're not saying it's not a good uh, beach to camp at, but if you are not camping, then you're going to want to move on a little further north. Now, I want to say before we start talking about beach one, two, and three, that this is very confusing and it's confusing to us and we have been here multiple times. We're going to talk about first about beach one and two. But in a few minutes, we're going to be further north. And then there's first beach, second beach and third beach. 
all of these are different beaches, so it's confusing. I don't know what happened when they were starting to name these beaches. They, they were phoning it in that day, weren't they? So they, they d- decided to name one Beach One. But then later, maybe in the afternoon when they were sleepy, they said, well, we're going to have first beach, which is different than beach one. Yes. Two different beaches, two different places. So, yeah, I'm not sure what's what's happening there, but uh, we'll try to explain it the best we can. So beach one has a little tiny pull off alongside of the road and a little tiny sign. It has an easy little short, beautiful hike down. And the thing about this one, it has stunning spruce burls along the way. That's what this is known for. Spruce burls? Spruce burls. You do not want to miss that. (laughs) You do not see spruce burls in Florida, do you? No, you don't. No. But then you have Beach 2. Now, this is this is a kind of a wide sandy beach. Yes, it is. Right. More so than the others. Yeah. And more so at lower tides than, than high tides. Right. Now, if you keep going north, you're going to hit Claylock Lodge, Claylock Campground, and that particular beach. We are going to talk about this one after we play our Shy Shy clip, and you'll kind of see why when we get to that point. Okay. So, Karen, what about beach three, four, and six? <laughs> well, this is also confusing. There, there's not a... Beach five. We don't know what happened to beach five. No, maybe that was nap time the day they were naming these beaches. But uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so let's let's talk about these. Right. These are further north from Claylock Lodge. We specifically wanted to talk about beach four because we love this beach. Yeah, it has large parking lot. Uh, there's a hike. It's just a short trail down to the beach. You'll cross a footbridge with rails made out of driftwood. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And Beach 4 has sandy and rocky sections with a ton of driftwood littering the shore. It does. And while a lot of these Olympic National Park beaches offer great tide pooling, Beach 4 is considered the cream of the crop. Now, of course, you will want to be there at low tide for that. But some of the things you'll see are colorful algae, gooseneck barnacles, green anemones. Those are my favorite. And of course, the sea stars. Who doesn't love to see the sea stars? What about the verdant bluffs? (laughs) (laughs) I... I remember the verdant bluffs at Beach 4. Do you, Matt? Yeah, and the sea stacks. (laughs) Okay, so Beach 4. Now, one thing I feel like people might be wondering is how to find out when either low or high tide is. You go online and type in tide table for Beach 4, not Beach 5. Right, because we don't think Beach 5 exists. So you want to look online. The other thing you can do if you are going to be visiting one of the park's visitor centers, I know they have tide tables printed out for each week or or for the month, perhaps. So you could also ask a ranger for a printed copy as well. But this is really important. If you want to do tide pooling and if you want to do some hiking on the beach, you're going to want to go at low tide. Yeah. And of course, uh, with any of the tide tables, they are estimates. You know, they could be off by not not huge amounts, but I mean, they could be off by 20, 30 minutes. So you got to know those Those will give you a general idea of when low tide is, when high tide is. They also will give you the height of the tide, right? Not all tides are the same. I'm talking to all the landlubbers out there. (laughs) You know, might say negative two, might say negative 10. That tells you how 
low the low tides are. And of course, plus numbers are the high tide numbers. Yes. Now, continuing further north up Highway 101, it's just a short distance, it's not very far, is Ruby Beach, which arguably is the most popular beach in Olympic National Park. Yeah, some people call it Beach 5. No, they don't. (laughs) No, you're going to confuse people even more. This is not Beach (laughs) 5. Now, one of the great things about Ruby Beach is some of these other beaches, you have to hike down a trail. Some are longer. Some, you know, might have fallen trees or, or might be bushy. But this Ruby Beach has a beautiful, easy little trail that goes down. It's wide, it's paved, it's new. They have a new parking lot. It's really a nice facility there. Not bushy at all. Not bushy. (laughs) There are bathrooms there. So this is great. It's very family friendly. Yeah, and some of the highlights of this particular beach, you'll see sea stacks, sun-bleached driftwood, and forested cliffs. Also, we'll see abundance of wildlife, including mm-hmm. bald eagles, otters, and of course, all the classic tide pool inhabitants. Lots of great things to see in Ruby Beach. It is beautiful. I, I love Ruby Beach too. It can be crowded because, you know, everybody is going to Ruby Beach. But if you find a big crowd there, check out beaches one, two, three, four, and six. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so if you were going to head north from Ruby Beach, we're going to go inland a bit to the town of Forks. And from there, we're going to talk about beaches that you go west from there back to the coast. Right. So we're going to talk about the La Push beaches first. Now, this La Push is 14 miles from Forks. This is home to the Quileute tribe, but it is still part of Olympic National Park. All right. So the La Push beaches, La Push Beach itself is one of the biggest in Olympic National National Park. The stretch of sand is so long that it's separated into three separate sections. These names for the beaches up in the La Push area make a lot more sense. It's First Beach, Second Beach, and Third Beach. Right. (laughs) So let's talk about First Beach first. This one is the most accessible. You don't need to hike or follow a long trail down to the water. There's nearby parking and you just basically walk out on the beach. And it's got all of the sea stacks and tide pools and things like that. So uh, south of First Beach is Second Beach. It's very popular. You'll need to hike about three quarters of a mile to reach the beach. And the trail is, it's well marked, it's easy to navigate, and the views along the way are great. So it'll be a good hike down there. This two-mile stretch of beach is... Karen, I would call it postcard perfect. I would too. And you'll see a lot of photos of Olympic National Park from this beach. There's like this massive sea stack in the middle. So Second Beach is very popular for good reason. We should also mention that whale migration occurs in March, March, April, and October. So in a lot of these beaches, you might see whales going by. That's another plus, another wildlife sighting. But you could see whales any time of the year. Cause, we, yes. Because we've seen them... Gosh, I think we saw them in August once. Right, Yeah. right, for sure. All right, and then uh, south of Second Beach is Third Beach, and this is the least popular of all the La Push beaches because it's third. Well, no, not because it's third, (laughs) but because it's a little more of a hike. So it's 3.6 miles round trip to get to the shore, and I think that deters a lot of people. So this is a less crowded beach than first and second, but the trail starts out meandering through a coastal forest, and then you reach a 200-foot descent down to the beach. 
Yeah, I think it would be my first beach. I think third beach would be my first choice. Well, yeah, you would like, you would prefer to hike to a beach than yeah. just walk out from the car. Yeah. Right. But those are three options depending on, you know, how much you want to walk. Starting with first beach, you barely have to walk to the beach. Ending at third beach, you know, it's going to be more of a strenuous uh, hike to get there. Okay. So now north of these, you're going to have Rialto Beach, and this is one of the most famous areas of all of Olympic National Park. It's, it's, I think, probably the most famous Olympic beach. It features the hole in the wall. Right. This is one of the things we did on our very, very first visit to Olympics. So uh, it will always have a fond place in my heart. But it's a fantastic beach hike. It's about 3.3 miles round trip if you go to the hole in the wall and back. You don't have to hike down a long path to get to the beach, but there is a ton of driftwood along the shore that you'll have to scramble over before you even begin the hike. Yeah, Karen, we should mention this is not a flip-flop kind of walk. You know, most of these beaches are not flip-flop kind of beaches. No, but they do have tons of driftwood, beautiful ocean views, and then the tide pool uh, inhabitants. Right. So when you get out of your car and you're and you're on the beach, if you want to go to the hole in the wall, you're going to start walking to the right or north. And about one mile into the hike, you're going to have to cross Ellen's Creek. Now, it depends on the weather and the season you're there, but the creek might be pretty full. So you're going to want to be prepared to either take your shoes off or get them wet when you're crossing this creek. Yeah. And depending on the, the situation with with the tides, it could, you know, high tide could back that creek up a little bit. So be prepared to get wet mm-hmm. if you want to do this entire hike. I was looking at a recent travel report and people said currently it was, or recently it was completely dry. So, you know, you could have that too. So who knows? Yeah, that's great. Um, but yes, yeah, so you'll get to the hole in the wall just over one and a half miles into the hike. And it's a hole in this huge rock formation. And the hole is big enough to walk through. But the thing is, what we would suggest, if you keep going past the hole in the wall, this is some of the best tide pooling opportunities in the entire state. Yeah. And, you know, tide pooling doesn't sound like a really exciting activity. But I got to say, we have had a couple of instances where we have, I don't know if we were lucky or just in the right place. And we've seen lots of starfish and other sea creatures, inhabitants, really. Mm -hmm. Uh, And (laughs) when you get a good tide pool, it's pretty spectacular. It really is. You know, it's like another world. It's like you have a glimpse into another world, the underground world of the ocean. And especially for kids, definitely, definitely, if you're going with with your family, go at low tide and let them see some of these sea creatures because they might not ever have a chance to see them again, especially up close like that. Yeah, and this beach also has some of the best wildlife watching opportunities uh, of all the beaches. You have otters, seals. Here you can also see whales. Right. So much to love about Rialto Beach. Again, this this beach can be crowded, but because people are spread out doing this hike, you know, over almost two miles. It never seems, at least for us, it has never seemed really crowded. Okay, so one of the most remote beaches, and this is at the very north end of the park, is Shai Shai Beach. Right, and we talked about this in episode number 19. Uh, We're going to play that here in a minute about us camping at Shai Shai Beach and all the fun and and crazy antics that went on (laughs) while we did that camping trip. But we need to update a few things because things have changed since we did that episode. So in this 
excerpt that you're going to hear, there's a few things that are no longer accurate. And so we'll tell you about those changes right now. That's right. Now, when I was listening to it again, I think what I said might have been confusing. I, I said, if you're going to Shy Shy, you need two permits. You need the Olympic National Park permit, and you need the Macaw Indian Reservation permit. Those are two permits that you need if you are camping overnight. If you're going up for the day and you are just spending the day at Shy Shy, you don't need an Olympic National Park permit. You will still need the Macaw Indian Reservation permit, but not the park permit. So I just want to clear that up. Right. That's because you are going to be parking on Macaw land and they require that permit. We mentioned in this excerpt that you can buy the Macaw Recreation Permit at Washburn General Store. They no longer sell them there. And so where you want to go is the marina instead. This is in Nia Bay. It's a very small town, so you can always ask someone to if you can't find the marina. But yes, yeah, stop in there and be sure to buy your macaw recreation permit. One last thing we wanted to mention is that on this hike to Shy Shy Beach, which we will be talking about coming up, you hike two miles. And then when you get to the section where you descend to the beach... It used to be that there were ropes that you would have to hold on to. It's a very steep little section, and you would kind of make your way down on the ropes. But we went again last August, and we were very happy to see that they have changed that. Right. There's a very nice stairway there, you know, yes. wooden, wooden stairs. Mm -hmm. And so you don't need the rope anymore. It's much less treacherous. Yeah. So ignore that part when you hear that in this excerpt. That's right. Okay. So here is the clip. Then if you follow this strip of land along the coast all the way to the northwest point of the state of Washington there on the Olympic Peninsula, that's National Park, except for the very, very northwest corner. That's the Macaw Indian Reservation. But where it stops is a beach called Shy Shy Beach. S-H-I-S-H-I. Mm -hmm. Now, to get to Shy Shy, it takes a little longer because you have to drive north all the way up almost to the very northwest corner of the state, which, as Matt mentioned, is on the Macaw Indian Reservation. It's interesting because Shy Shy is in the national park, but the parking area is on Macaw Indian land. If you want to go to Shy Shy, you have to get two permits. You have to get a permit for the park to camp there, and then you have to stop in Nia Bay on the Macaw Indian Reservation at Washburn General Store to buy one of their recreation permits for $10, and that allows you to park on their land. All right. So then you're hiking for a half a mile on Macaw land, and then you're in the middle of the trees. You cross into the national park and go a little bit further. And so what is it from the trailhead to where you drop down onto the beach? So it's a two-mile hike. And now when we did it, this was in 2017. This was our very first backpacking trip ever. So, I mean, we have, we've only been backpacking for three years. So we're still kind of newbies. But that was our first one. And we bought the packs and everything. And we went with John and Lolly, um, who had done this backpacking trip, gosh, I think six or seven years earlier. So they really wanted to show it to us. So we went with them. And it was a pretty amazing trip. But you get to the end of the trees. And right before you drop down onto the beach, there's a little short section of trail, not <laughs> not long, maybe two, 300 yards, but it's pretty steep. And there were some ropes there. Again, with the ropes. And we learned very quickly <laughs> uh -huh. with a 
with a pack on, you're top heavy. Mm-hmm. And so we head down this trail thinking, okay, it's just like any other hike. And I almost went head over <laughs> heel down the trail because my pack was pulling me down. I know. But this was not a um, if you fall down the bluff, you'll die, though. This, this, was, was, a this was a broken arm yeah. or leg. Right. Yeah. So I was okay with it. But, yeah, it's, it was a little tricky descending it with a heavy pack. So we had plans to camp on the beach for three nights. And Shai Shai Beach runs for about two miles. It's absolutely beautiful. It is a beautiful beach. Uh-huh. It, it does actually look similar to what you would see in California or Florida. Now, the temperature is not as warm and balmy, but although it can be. It was actually when we were there. But, yeah, it, it is typical sandy beach, beautiful area. Mm-hmm. And down at the end, so this would be the south end, at the end of Shai Shai is an area called the Point of Arches. We camped down by that, and it is absolutely beautiful. It's these huge rocks that rise right out of the ocean. And then when the tide goes out, there are all kinds of tide pools that we explored. and A lot of starfish. Oh, tons of starfish. And the starfish were either purple or orange. Mm -hmm. I thought that was interesting. I know. For for this girl from Kansas, it was just – I couldn't believe everything that we were seeing. It was amazing. John had camped there before on his, his previous trip. So we were kind of by ourselves at the end of the beach mm-hmm. by the Point of Arches. And, and yeah, this part of the coastline, it's, it's, it's like a series of scallop-shaped beaches. The Shai Shai is a couple miles long. And then if you go further south, the scallops kind of get smaller. And at the ends of each scallop are these points where the rocks go out to the ocean and the point of arches, they're huge, huge rocks. They're beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were some eagles there uh, living on those those rocks. They actually came visited us that first morning. Yeah, that was cool to see. So our plan for the first day, when John and Lolly had been there before, they had hiked down all the way to the where the Ozette River comes out into the ocean, which is many miles. Well, and it's they, like seven miles mm-hmm. from point of arches. Right, and that was our plan. So that morning we get up, we make breakfast, we're ready to go pack up for the a long day hike. And we did know enough to have a tide table with us mm-hmm. because when the tides come in, you, you can't round these points because the water is up against the rocks and, and it's, the water's over your head, obviously. So the tide goes out, just so happens that, I don't know, maybe 8.30 in the morning when we're ready to head out, it was low tide. And we were able to round that point of arches to the next scalloped beach. Now, even at low tide, we were still maybe knee high in water, mm-hmm. but we could get by. No no big deal. But then the next point was deeper water. And we tried to figure out how to round it, even though we were right at low tide, and it was just too deep. However, John and Lolly had done this hike before, and – they swear that there were ropes in that next beach that you could use to climb up to the land part of the coastline, which would be, what, maybe 100 feet above the beach, mm-hmm. and then hike maybe a half a mile into the trees and then come back down onto the beach after these couple of scalloped beaches, which were hard to cross the rounds. Now, we never saw any ropes. We looked and we looked, looked and, and looked. looked and looked. We <laughs> did find one rabid-looking raccoon <laughs> who was in a tree, and he was scowling. 
he only had half his fur and he mm-hmm. he, he, he picked you out of the crowd it, <laughs> like he was trying to figure out who was the smallest of the four if he was going to come down and, and That's attack right. somebody. That's right. He was giving me the evil eye. But I remember as John is searching these cliffs for the ropes, you are looking at the tide table. Now, actually, you had pulled out your map. Right. I had both the tide table mm-hmm. and the map. And I was doing the calculation of when the tide is going to come back in and trying to figure out, you know, this afternoon when we need to come back, when's low tide again and all of this. But John was struggling finding the ropes and he was saying, well, maybe we walk around these points Mm -hmm. instead of do the ropes. So I get out the map and on my map, it said at that next point, it said, Danger, never round, which didn't slow John down at all. <laughs> it's like, all right, yeah, but but I think I think we can get around it. Uh-huh. And I said, okay, that's fine. But then the next point says on the map says danger, never round again. But mm-hmm. then it was in bold, bold <laughs> red print. So I figured even if we just got to around that next point. We weren't going to get around the third point. No. And now the tide's starting to come back in. And I figured if we don't make a decision quick, we're going to be stuck on this little scallop, for, I don't know, for the next 12 hours. Right. Without our tents or food or anything. Right. And so mm-hmm. I said, not to put any pressure on you, John, but we don't have a lot of time because the water's now getting deeper from mm-hmm. where we came. And we weren't going to be able to get back to our campsite and we'd sit there battling the raccoon for the next 12 hours. (laughs) Yeah, so the Olympic National Park website does have some warnings and they say you are not supposed to hike from beach to beach because those rocky points are incredibly dangerous. You know, jagged rocks, huge waves. The current is strong. So you have to take the ropes up over and go on land. Again, we couldn't find the ropes. And the other thing, too, is you must have a tide table and know when those tides are, or you will be stranded. Well, John was right. There usually are ropes. I don't know what happened to mm-hmm. them. I don't, I don't think the park provides those ropes. Or maintains or them. Or maintains them. And so maybe they got to the point where they were frayed and dangerous and someone removed them so that mm-hmm. no one got hurt on them. But uh, yeah, there's supposed to, there's usually ropes up there. So we got back to our campsite just in time. I think it was waist high water when we went back. And then, then we spent the rest of that day just hiking up and down the main beach, which was it was a great day. Oh, it was beautiful. And we saw whales and we saw more mm-hmm. starfish. Yeah. And it's interesting because on the beach, there is a ton of driftwood washed up, huge driftwood logs. And so Lolly took an hour or two and she did some beach combing and she was poking in around finding things that that were lodged up against these driftwood logs. So she had put a ton of stuff in her backpack at dinner time. She starts giving out these gifts. <laughs> yeah, the stuff and that she had found. The stuff that she had found. And I think you got this really long hot dog. This hot uh, dog holder, you know, like you'd put a hot dog to hold it over a fire, but it had two tongs. So you could put two hot dogs on it. So I was very uh, excited <laughs> about that. Score. We called it a double wiener. Uh-huh. And she had found some kind of a Leatherman tool that had all kinds of gadgets on it. But the big score, as far as she was concerned, she pulls out of her backpack a bottle of Maker's Mark whiskey that was half full yeah. of 
well, we don't know what it was half full of <laughs> at that like, point. It was Lally. brown liquid. <laughs> Lolly, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> Put that back wherever you got. It. Well, we should mention that this was right after the 4th of July weekend. Mm-hmm. And so the crowds, I'm sure, were big that weekend. And we were there a couple days later. So people just left their stuff. That they didn't want to that carry, they didn't out. Want to carry out. And somebody had written a message on the bottle and it said, enjoy, shy, shy, happy camping, Cheers, and then it had this person's Instagram handle on it. And so I think that made John and Lolly feel like it was a gift from a stranger. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and John insisted he was going to drink it, and He's, you were horrified. Right. We were sitting around the fire. John had brought a little bit of whiskey, and uh-huh. he was about out of that. And so he sets this bottle on a stump right next to him. And as soon as he finished his whiskey that he had brought, uh, he was going to start in on that. And I thought, <laughs> I thought he was joking. I did too. That he was going to drink it. Uh huh. But man, he he did. I know, and and he's still alive today. He said, so. he said Matt, you got to trust the world more. <laughs> no one would leave a tainted bottle of whiskey here and put a a nice note on it. And so, it's like, mm-hmm. okay. I know, but it's an interesting question. You know, if you found. An opened, half-consumed bottle of whiskey in the wilderness. Would you drink it? That's so funny because I've asked that question many times of people. Uh uh, Just like hypothetical. And it's so funny because the answers I get from people are either absolutely yes or absolutely no. There's nothing in between. Right. I guess it depends on on your personality. Yeah, that tells you what kind of person. And if you're a germaphobe, the answer is probably a definite Uh, no. Now, you could go to Shy Shy just for the day if you didn't want to camp. It is a long drive. And then, again, you hike the two miles to the beach. And obviously, you have to hike the two miles back. One of the things we loved about camping there was seeing the, the sunset and the sunrise and exploring the tide pools. But it's certainly, if you just have a day... It is a great beach to explore. And the other thing that's right there, this is on Macaw Indian Land, is Cape Flattery. It's not a very long hike to Point of the Cape, but it's a beautiful overlook. And you're essentially standing. It's the absolute furthest northwest point in the lower 48. You feel like the... If you look out into the ocean, the next thing you're going to see is uh, is Japan there. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful views. It's definitely worth a stop to see uh, Cape Flattery if you're out there. So if we're coming now, we're coming back down to 101 and back to the main coastal beaches. Some of the other beaches we've been to are Rialto Beach, Ruby Beach, Second Beach, and Claylock. Those are all, you know, fairly close to each other. You have to drive to each one, I believe. Maybe you could hike to some of them, but it would be a, definitely a long hike. Now, at Claylock Beach, there's also a lodge called Claylock Lodge that sits right on that bluff overlooking the ocean. Yeah, we haven't stayed there, but we've been there a couple of times. It's a beautiful setting. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're back, and we wanted to talk briefly about Claylock Lodge. We recently did stay in a cabin there on the bluff overlooking the ocean, and we really loved it, didn't we, Matt? Yeah, it was a great little cabin, and there's uh, quite a few of them there. It, it wasn't really hard for us to get a reservation. Now, we were there in what? January. <laughs> January, so... <laughs> Which is when people go to the beach, but... Yeah, so there's three different lodging options at Kalaylock. We thought we would just mention really quickly. There are 
are the cabins, and a lot of these have kitchens, kitchenettes, fireplaces, wood-burning stoves. Ours had a small kitchen, two bedrooms, and it was really, really cozy, wasn't it? Yes, it was. I remember we started a little fire. Yes, it was wonderful. Now, there's also the main lodge, and there are rooms in the main lodge. Now, Kalelok's Lodge has been an institution for nearly a century. It was originally built with lumber milled from driftwood logs that washed up on the beaches near Claylock Creek. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. Mm-hmm, I know. Did you just grab lumber off of the beach and mill it? Yes. And build a cool? hotel out and, of it. Yes. And yeah. it looks like it when you look at it. It's very, um, very charming, very beachy looking. The third lodging option is the Seacrest House. This is a two-story building with rooms that either have a private patio if you're on the ground level, or they have balconies overlooking the ocean. So that's the third option there. And the lodge does have a restaurant. However, if you're going to go and stay there, you might check for their hours because we've been there. We've stopped several times. It seems like sometimes the lodge is open for lunch. Sometimes it's not. The last time... We were there for dinner. It was only takeout. So it it seems to change throughout the years. Yeah, well, and and I think that they've had challenges with getting staff, as a Mm -hmm. lot of places have, with Mm -hmm. the aftermath of COVID and and other other things. So, yeah, just any time you go to these national parks, these more remote areas, you just have to know that sometimes the facilities are are not going to be at at full staff or fully operating. Right. And the nice thing, too, if you do have one of the cabins with a little kitchen, you know, you can bring your own food, which is always, you know, a good option, too. Yeah. One downside to Claylock Logs, though, is that there are a set of stairs that go down to the beach, and those were destroyed in a recent storm. So there's no good way to get down to the beach. Which is, you know, disappointing because the, you're up on a bluff looking down. So you have to find a way to get down. Now, the solution to that is you can go next door to Kalelok Campground and there is beach access there, which is what we did. Now, the thing is, the staircase that's right next to the parking lot at Kalelok Campground isn't a whole lot better. It's also had some weather-related issues. Right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these staircases are built out of wood. And when you get a high tide or a storm, they get a little damaged. And so it can be a little bit treacherous, but you you can do it if you pay attention and watch where you're stepping. Well, sure. And hopefully they'll be in there repairing these and, and getting them back in good shape for everyone. And the reason that you absolutely want to go down to Kalaylock Beach is not just because it's a beautiful stretch of beach, but because there is a wonder there that you're going to want to see. It is a wonder. It's mm-hmm. called the Tree of Life. It's a Sitka spruce. And it looked like it grew up Right on top of this little ravine, so it probably sprouted years and years ago, and the ravine has gotten wider and wider, but the tree itself, its roots just keep spreading across the ravine, and it almost looks like it's just in the air. Yes, because all of the soil beneath the tree has completely washed away over the years, and so you see the entire root system, and it's exposed to the air. So you wonder what is holding this tree up. Um, It's literally just, it almost looks like it's floating in space. And it's, I don't know, it seems like kind of a miracle to me. I think that at some point, this tree is probably going to come down uh, due to gravity. But so far, I mean, every time we go back, you know, we hold our breath as we're coming around the corner to see if it's 
still there. And as of January of this year, it was it was there. And it was looking good. You know, the, the needles are green. I mean, it looks very healthy. Yeah, looks healthy. So ho- hopefully yeah. it, it'll find a way to survive. Yes, yes, but you definitely want to see that. So that is kind of an overview. Hopefully that helps clear up a little bit of the confusion about the beaches. If you download the park map or you, you know, you get the park map when you visit, it'll be more clear because you can look at the map and see where these beaches are in order and kind of reference to what we talked about. Thank you for joining us today on this mini episode of our podcast. It's always fun for us to go back into the archives and see what we were talking about a few years ago. And Karen, your dream has finally come true. Which dream is that? The, the one where I get to marry the greatest guy on the planet? No, no. That, <laughs> that dream came true many decades ago. Now, I'm talking about the one where you begged and pleaded with our listeners to leave reviews so we could hit a thousand. And we made it? We, we, wait, we have a thousand reviews we, now? On we Apple have Fox. hit 1,000. Yeah, all your begging work. You know, I, I think begging is, that's harsh. I, I would like to call it um, politely asking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you could do that. But we do want to thank all of you who took the time to write reviews and post ratings on our podcast. We really do appreciate it. We sure do. Thank you. We love you guys. Truly, truly. All of you. What, what about the people who wrote that your laughing was Music annoying? person, okay. not people. <laughs> <laughs> the person who wrote that your laughing was annoying. Okay, well, maybe not him, but definitely everyone else. <laughs>